We're back, and it's a pleasure always to say we are joined by Bill Walton. He is one of our regulars here at Secure Freedom Radio, um, a man who brings an enormous breadth of talent, notably from his time as a master of the universe on Wall Street, but also as a leader of the conservative movement here in the nation's capital in more recent times, uh, notably as the past president of the Council for National Policy, of which I'm very proud to be a member. He is the host of a terrific television podcast program, The Bill Walton Show, which I commend to all of you, and uh, a great friend as well. I'm always glad to have him with us. Bill, thanks so much for joining us again. Nice to be with you, Frank, as always. Well, especially to have your perspective on a very, very important development, it seems to me. I did my commentary on it this morning. Uh, The Durham special prosecution investigation has now taken what seems to be at long last a turn many of us have prayed for uh, in the belief that if there is no rule of law in this country, um, there won't be much of a country uh, left in in fairly short order. Um, Bill, uh, talk to us a little bit about what developed on Friday in terms of that investigation and its implications as you see them. Well, by way of background, you know, we've listened about the Russia collusion scenario forever, it seems. And it turns out this story may have been one of the dirtiest tricks in uh, U.S. political history. In fact, there's there's nothing behind that story. And on Friday, uh, Special Counsel John Dunnan, whose man has been working to unravel the conclusion story filed uh, uh, against uh, Michael Sussman, who was a lawyer who represented the Clinton campaign. And uh, he was with the firm uh, Perkins Coie, which works with the left on almost all these issues. And specific accusation, he was lying to the FBI when he denied that there were uh, any work on his behalf or, or the campaign's behalf, Hillary Clinton, to uh, uh, spy on Donald Trump. And in fact, they did. And the indictment calls out a man named Rodney Joffrey, who was with New Star Inc., um, who provided him with inside uh, internet data traffic uh, at the Trump apartment on the west side, the Trump Tower, and most chillingly, um, internet data inside the, uh, in the White House. And this, this began before the election as early as midsummer 2016. And what the indictment doesn't tell us is, you know, when did this end? Uh, but they were monitoring all the internet traffic. And, uh, you know, we've got a, you know, Jaffe denies it, but it's, uh, I guess they've pretty much got him red handed. And they, they were, what they were doing was they're trying to build a case that, uh, there was a connection between Trump and this Russian mobile phone operator, uh, and uh, that was not that was not the case. And uh, let me see if I can find the exact quote here. Um, it's quite good. Mr. Jaffe's goal was to create an inference and narrative about Mr. Trump that would please certain VIPs. Referring to the lawyers at Perkins Cole and the Clinton campaign, and the, you know the questions here. How, how, how long did the, how long did this go on? Uh, who had access to what was what was found? Uh, who approved it in the White House? And and who in who specifically were the people in the FBI and in the White House 
that knew about it because somebody certainly did. And it certainly begs the question, uh, was Mrs. Clinton and the senior people in her campaign uh, personally aware of uh, what was going on? And the, I think the question answers itself. Um, but, you know, this takes it well beyond the, the Steele dossier, and uh, you know, which was about... Uh, I can't remember the full story. Some Russian immigre working in Washington, you know, working with Trump and Putin. It was all just a complete work of fiction. This is not fiction. They were actually monitoring internet traffic. And um, we need to get a lot deeper into this one to find out who else was involved, who was doing it, who approved it, and how long it lasted. So just so I'm clear, Bill, is the suggestion that somebody in the Trump White House was letting them have access to this information? Or is it somebody in the Obama White House who facilitated what took place on their watch and somehow uh, enabled that access to continue after they left? I, I'm a little unclear. It began It began well, well, Obama was in the White House and it began with the Obama team and continued on into January, February after Trump was inaugurated. And after that, uh, it's, it's not clear to me how much longer it did last. And you know, when, when, you know, the White House is one of the few agencies where there's almost a complete transition of personnel when the administration changes. So, you know, the question is, was there somebody left in, in, the, in the IT department who was still uh, funneling this information while Trump was president? Um, we don't know yet, but it, it's certainly possible. Watch this space, folks, is all I can say. This is uh, breaking news of tremendous import because, Bill, as you certainly appreciate, it's not just that this was about partisan political machinations and and criminal activity, it would certainly seem. But if this were going on, it's especially with the leakiness of Hillary Clinton's uh, operations. Remember, remember her server. Yeah, um, there's almost certainty that you had hostile powers also having access to uh, some of the most sensitive traffic in the world. Uh, well, that's the, that's that that, that's the elephant in the room. I mean, we're we're, we're it's clear that uh, if if somebody like this could penetrate the uh, the White House and and do what they did with, with Trump Tower and the other Trump uh, apartment, they can they can do this with anyone. And it's probably, my guess and your guess is it's still going on and probably it's still monitoring uh, White House traffic. And certainly my guess is with Biden coming in last year, they've, they've resumed operations. Or continued operations, as the case may be. Um, great stuff, Bill, uh, of uh, huge import, obviously, on all of these levels. And uh, thank you for covering it for us. And, and um, we'll definitely be taking stock with you in the days to come about it and others. Um, I wanted to go through, uh, speaking of the Biden administration, um, some of the personnel decisions, Bill, that are now awaiting uh, action by the United States Senate uh, in a couple of key posts. Um, individuals, uh, who seem to have something in common, uh, well, they're all female for one thing, um, but they all seem to be pretty hard left as well. And again, that may not be surprising given the character of this administration and its policy approach. But um, for some of these jobs uh, that, um, for example, Sarah 
Raskin is being uh, proposed to fill, uh, namely in her case, the number two position on the Federal Reserve. Um, it's very, very troubling that uh, this sort of ideological agenda seems to be uh, the principal qualification for the job, or at least the principal qualification justification for this particular nomination. Um, tell us about Sarah, for starters. Well, we'll Sarah is an extremely dangerous uh, candidate for the number two job in the Federal Reserve overseeing uh, financial institution bank regulation. She's very smart. She knows the financial services industry. She was on the board of the Federal Reserve and also Deputy Secretary, Deputy Treasury Secretary. Um, she's also one of the most radical climate people you can find and believes that Federal Reserve policy should be to uh, shut down the fossil fuel industry, you know, basically by chalking off cap capital to oil and gas firms and, and related um, she's married to Jamie Raskin, who's on the January 6th commission, and we know what that uh, kangaroo court is uh, is doing. Senior to, uh, leftist member of Congress. Yeah. yeah. Senior leftist member. They're quite a power couple, Frank. Quite a power couple. Anyway, so in addition to her really bad ideas when it comes to climate and her sophistication, she's a very sophisticated financial operator. And while she was on the board I believe it was on, well, she was deputy secretary, what year was it? In 2018, she became, or 2017, she joined the board of directors of a company called Reserve Trust. Um, and what was Reserve Trust does is it engage in payment processing related to business-to-business -to -business, uh, uh, transactions. And it's extremely valuable to be a chartered company to obtain a Federal Reserve master account, which gives a company direct access to Federal Reserve clearing payment and settlement services. Well, while she was on the board, um, she made a call uh, to the Fed to ask that they approve uh, this company's uh, uh, status, and they did so. And it's really, while it's not illegal per se, it certainly uh, smells to high heaven. And when she joined the board, she received almost 200,000 shares of the stock. She sold the shares in 2020 for $1.4 million. Pretty good work, pretty good pay for three years on a board. Of course, she was worth every penny because uh, this company's got this special status uh, accorded to them uh, by the Fed. And, and, and this is happening, Frank, all along the time when you got Elizabeth Warren condemning Randall Quarles, who for terrible conflict of interest because what he did is he returned to work for a private equity company that he founded. So this is part of the uh, terrible revolving door that uh, Elizabeth Warren is always complaining about. Well, she had to look very closely at her own um, nominee, um, Sarah Raskin. It'll be very interesting to see if she does, won't it? <laughs> oh, yeah, I, right. I, I'm not I'm, holding I'll my breath, hold my breath Frank. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, speaking of the Federal Reserve, uh, Bill Walton, let me talk to you about um, another nominee of Joe Biden, uh, Lisa Cook, um, Dr. Lisa Cook, I believe it is. Um, tell us about her and her qualifications for this position and uh, uh, Apparently, her own pretty strongly held 
uh, hard left agenda. Well, on paper, she's got quite a pedigree. I don't have the, it, her resume in front of me, but she's got a PhD in, in finance economics from a big university, and she uh, has had some pretty important jobs. The the issue, though, is you see this all the time in Washington, is people have nice resumes and they move from position to position, but they they never actually demonstrate they know anything. And if you look at everything she's written as an academic and, and otherwise, it's all it's all about critical race theory and social justice and you know righting the wrongs that uh, that America is all about. And so we've got another, you know, she's black, she's female, uh, you know, so, so we've got another race warrior uh, who Biden wants to put on the board of the Federal Reserve. And that's sort of, in my mind, you know, that's part of the issue. The other part of the issue, she doesn't seem to know anything about monetary economics. So we're adding somebody else into the mix when we've got a Federal Reserve, which is printing money like mad and I think is likely to have a very, very tough next couple of years as we try to unwind all this monetary madness that's been going on. And we're adding yet another unqualified person to the mix. Well, again, if this were the only example of this sort of uh, it goes racist on and on. preoccupation. Being, well, and then we've got uh, our head injected. of the FTC. Yeah. Well, I, I wanted to turn to her next, Bill. But I, again, this this is just fitting increasingly, isn't it, a pattern of people who um, are determined to use whatever uh, instruments they have at their disposal to advance we, we, we uh, arguably the most radical filled- and, I would say, communist agenda in our history. Well, uh, whatever you want to call it, Marxist, nihilist, totalitarian, I can think of 53 labels for these people. But the one thing they all have in common is they don't know anything about the private sector. They don't know anything about wealth creation. They don't understand anything about the markets that created uh, the prosperity that's brought billions of people out of poverty worldwide. These people are wholly ignorant of that. And they weigh in on things uh, that they know very little about with a political agenda, and worse, they're in a position to make policy to uh, to, do, to to further damage the economy. And the, the head of the FTC is now blaming inflation on price fixing among, <laughs> among big companies. Well, uh, I don't think, exactly think that Microsoft is price fixing with, uh, with Apple, and I don't think that's the way the modern economy works anymore. What does work in creating inflation is massive federal spending in the trillions, massive federal deficits in the three or four trillion range, you know, debt that's 30 trillion, um, Federal Reserve flooding the uh, the market with money, um, buying back the treasury debt, and in fact, paying for these deficits with uh, with inflation. So there, there's a culprit and it lies right in front of us in the middle of the road. And instead, you've got the head of the FTC um, blaming these mysterious uh, price fixers somewhere, somehow, that it's all their fault. Bill Walton, um, I, I think that the key point here is that uh, we're in a world of hurt uh, at the moment on a lot of different fronts. Uh, we're going to be talking about Ukraine in a moment and uh, what may flow from Russia's ambitions to, uh, well, crush um, that part of the free world. Um, well, I put out a piece today, Frank. We had, Mike, we, had Mike Wall, we had Mike Waller and Peter Pry on, and I'll just real quickly, you know, Mike points out or Peter points out that uh, 
we have very little understanding of what Russia and China are doing with each other. They formed an alliance. The Pentagon itself has wargamed uh, uh, defending Taiwan in case of a Chinese invasion 18 different times. And 18 different times, uh, China won the war game. So we're playing with fire here with people in administration and the foreign policy establishment or elites under Biden are very little different from the economic elites that he's trying to put in place. We have a lot to worry about. Similar agendas, uh, global warming being the greatest threat we face and and, uh, domestic terrorists that look a lot like Trump voters uh, being the greatest national security and homeland security challenge. Uh, Bill Walton, I I congratulate you on uh, uh, the Waller Pry uh, tag team and uh, look forward to seeing it myself and encourage all of our listeners to watch it and all of the Bill Walton show. Thank you for your time today on our program, Securing uh, America being our mutual interest and uh, for all that you do for that purpose and cause. And next up, we are going to speak with Ruben Johnson about Ukraine, uh, Americans' perspective on the ground there right after this. 